Hey everybody, this is Ann Barnhart. Welcome to the first Barnhart podcast. Um, joining me tonight is my friend and my super tech nerd, who is in fact goes by the secret spy code name of Super Nerd. So Super Nerd and I will be with you tonight. We're going to target anywhere between 30 and 60 minutes on these podcasts, three or four questions, a little bit of a little bit of back and forth, a little bit of banter. Hopefully as we move forward and get better at this, we might be doing things like integrating um, integrating audio clips, things like that, um, taking um questions from readers in advance and doing that sort of thing that sort of thing but right now we're gonna start with our very first inaugural podcast and we're gonna be looking to do this weekly so hopefully we'll be able to keep this up for you and uh good evening super nerd how are you i'm doing pretty well it's been a pretty busy day for me and um looking forward to uh trying to get this this uh, done well. I, this I, obviously this is going to be a work in progress, and and uh, I haven't hosted a podcast much uh, in my career with computers and everything else. But uh, I do know a little bit about this, and uh, I, I know we're going to get better as this goes. I have complete and total confidence in you. Although I do warn you, getting me to say what I think is like pulling chicken teeth. So good luck trying to pry answers out of me. But. Do your best, super nerd. I I've, know you can do it. I've been doing research all day on trying to ask the right questions to get somebody to really speak their mind and not hold back, so I hope it works. All right, you've come to the right person. Okay, so my first question, Anne. You pointed out not that long ago that Ivanka Trump formally apostatized from Christianity to Talmudic Judaism in order to marry her husband, Jared Kushner, first husband as far as we know. What was the feedback on that piece? Well, it was surprising. Um... I got exactly one email with all of my Catholic readership, all of my trad Catholic readership, and that piece was linked on Canon 212, so it got out there and it had good traffic. I got exactly one response from one person saying, you know, that's a good idea. We should pray for them. We should set up rosaries. We should have masses said for the reversion to Christianity of the of I believe she's baptized Ivanka Trump, and of course for the conversion of her husband and her three beautiful children who are not baptized. Which means if we actually believe the Catholic faith, that if these people die today unbaptized, that is Jared Kushner and the three children that they will not achieve the beatific vision. Now, do you believe this or do you not? Are you a Christian or are you not? I got one response that said, yeah, it would, that would be a really good idea. That would be a really good thing to do. I received other responses, the most severe of which was, and I'm not making this up, and this was from a super trad Catholic. In fact, I, I think it's a it's an SSPXer. Don't quote me on that, but I'm I'm pretty sure from the context of, of other emails that this person is an SSPXer that said, <laughs> I'm sure that Ivanka didn't mean it if she formally apostatized to Judaism, and I'm further sure that she has secretly had her children baptized. That, to me, was absolutely shocking. And I think that it speaks to the extent to which people get into this absolutely 
cultic mindset, following after, be it politicians, be it sports figures, be it, you know, even uh, even religious figures that, that people trail off after, where they get into this mindset where these people that they psychologically attach themselves to can do no wrong. So let me get this straight. You are so in in the tank for Donald Trump that when I say his daughter has apostatized from Christianity formally on paper and her children are not baptized and these people are living and these children are being raised as practicing Talmudic Jews... You're going to say back to me, oh, no, that's it's no big deal. I'm sure she didn't mean it. I'm sure the kids are secretly baptized. Uh, I'm sure it's cool. I'm sure it's fine. Everything's good because you just can't say anything against some public figure that you have attached yourself to. It's that that sort of just blind servile allegiance to these political figures is what scares me to death. And I saw this coming and it's a combination of two things. There's people like that who will, who will follow and trail off after and justify absolutely anything that their, let's call it quote unquote hero that their hero does or as is the other case with Trump and is happening now, because I'm getting many emails to this effect, there are people who, sure enough, he's folding on everything, he's a complete fraud, he's in. He's as much in the pocket, he's almost as much in the pocket of Soros and the New World Order as any of the rest of them, and now people are getting their hearts broken by this. And what is the, what is the technical term that we use in the church for that? It's called scandal. It's called scandal. Anything that A, either induces or ratifies another person to sin, or B, causes someone to lose their faith. And it's interesting, um, I, I was able to read a piece that was written uh, last year by Professor Peter Kwasniewski, who posts often on, on Rarate and, and other places, and um, he made an excellent point that had never really occurred to me is that when you lie, and that, that's basically what we're talking about here, Trump, throughout the campaign, was lying. He knew exactly what lies to tell. He knew exactly which buttons to push. He knew exactly what to say to people in order to get this massive, alienated class of people, A, alienated and, and just oppressed by this out-of-control government of the former United States, and also these people who rightly, very rightly said, Hillary Clinton cannot be the next president of the former United States. Absolutely, absolutely. Trump sees this, steps into this vacuum, sees this massive marketing opportunity, and is intelligent enough to know exactly what to say to people in order to gin up popular support. Now, lo and behold, and I, I will continue for the rest of my life to confess that I am still shocked, shocked that the, the machine allowed Trump to win. Um, I, I still some days just can't hardly believe it. All, all I can say is the Clintons must have really, really pissed a lot of people off. And we didn't even understand the extent to which the Clintons had pissed even people on the left off. Okay, 
fair enough. So I was wrong about that. Now we have now we have Trump in the White House. And um, what was my train of thought? Where was I going with this? Well, you were talking about Clinton definitely pissing people off. It wasn't just 2016, though. I mean, 20, 2008, she had the wide open path to get in. And much to her chagrin, the other guy got elected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, it's not something new. The Clintons have a body count and they've alienated enough people along the way that there's going to be people to get in their, in their way and say, no, you've had enough. Go away now. Go away now. Absolutely. And now, you know, they're pushing Chelsea. Oh, but we're getting off on a tangent. We'll, we'll come back to Chelsea later. What, what the point I was going to make is that when you lie to people, and this is Professor Kwasniewski's point, when you lie to people, what you're actually doing is attacking the entire notion of faith. Because when you lie to people, you kind of chip away gradually, gradually, gradually at, at a person's intrinsic ability to have faith in anything. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Kids have just beautiful faith, pure faith. It's easy for, for children to have faith. Well, faith is, you know why? On, faith is based on truth. I mean, capital F exactly. faith is based on capital F truth. And if somebody's lying to you constantly, you get the impression there can't be truth. Well, then there can't be faith. Exactly. And that's why, for example, the Musloid culture, this culture is built entirely on lies. Um, it, ask anybody who's ever traveled in, in a Musloid culture, in a Musloid country, go into the market and try to try to do business or haggle with anybody. The entire basis of the Musloid economy, such as it is, because understand there isn't much of an economy at all, but what there is, you know, bartering in the marketplace or going into a restaurant, they're constantly trying to screw each other. This is taught in the Quran. Uh, Takia and Kithmont are, are explicitly stated doctrines, ratified courses of action according to the Musloid political system and the Quran. Um, Allah, which, you know, depending on how you want to phrase it, is either non-existent or Satan. Um, Allah is described in the, in the Quran as um, the greatest liar. What, can, I can't even remember what the verse is. He's the, the greatest and best, of, uh, and best of liars or something like this. I mean, it's just, it's constantly, it's part of the culture, lying, lying, lying. Marriages are lies. Parents are killing their children. So even the love between parents and children, that's all a lie. Just everything is a lie. And so these people, they, they lose any capacity to have faith. And then what that, basic, what that very quickly degenerates into is when you, when you can't have faith in anyone or anything, you can't love. And as we've learned from, from our research on diabolical narcissism, if you're incapable of love, you descend, that is the definition of diabolical narcissism. You, you make the executive decision as a sovereign person, I'm not going to love anyone or anything. And a lot of times the way that starts at the very, very top is just being lied to. Okay, so Trump is scandalizing people who put this faith in him, believing that he meant what he said, <laughs> Guys, it was just, it was obvious that he didn't. If you did even the most cursory back research on the guy, read anything that he had written prior to just a few years ago, basically a hard leftist, pro-abortion, single-payer, universal health care, 
you know, going on about the glories of the Canadian healthcare system. What are what's the headline? What are the headlines right now on Canon Two Twelve? That that Trump is now getting ready to completely fold on the Obamacare. You must pay for contraception um, and abortifacient mandate. Well, of course he is. Of course he is. Trump has absolutely no problem with contraception. It, he, I'm sure he's used it his entire life. It's probably saved him millions upon millions of dollars in child support payments with, by thwarting the existence of children that would have been conceived with women that he was fornicating with. Of course he has no problem with contraception. Why would you think that he did? Look, look at the man's life. He's got he's working on he's on his third wife who isn't his wife. And then he had a second wife who wasn't his wife before that. His real wife still lives. Her name is Ivana Trump. He has no respect for marriage. He has no respect for any of these things. He's made it clear that he that he fornicates. He's made it clear that he that he's committed adultery. He's committed adultery publicly. Why in the world would you think he would have any moral qualms whatsoever about contraception and why would you think that he would not view um, thwarting the conception of more human beings as an economic benefit and as a way to uh, quote unquote help the economy the fact of the matter is the reason why the American economy is tanking and going to hell and the European situation is exactly the same is not because there are too many people it's because there's not nearly enough people. And I've made this point before, and this is a good time to make it again. Not only are there not enough people, there's not enough black people. There's not enough brown people. Let's talk about black people. The situation now in the United States, especially in the urban centers, is, is that more black children are murdered inside their mother's wombs than are born. If you are a black child in New York City and you're born alive, you have beaten the odds by a significant percentage. Why in the world would you think that he's going that he's going to do anything about this? Why would you fall for these lies? You have to be smarter than this. And so back to the original question, you know, the whole Ivanka and and oh he he's such a good Christian. I'm sorry, but if you're a good Christian and your child apostatized, formally legally renounced Jesus Christ, his holy church and her baptism, married a Jew, had children and refused to baptize those children. Um she should be cut off, she should be written out of the will. And it should be made clear to her if, if Donald Trump is a true believing Christian, much less Catholic, it should be made absolutely clear to her that as long as you persist in this and as long as you choose to, to apostatize from the church and to put the immortal souls of your children in this completely unnecessary peril, then I have no choice but to cut you off financially and in every other sense. But that's not what he's done, is it? No, he's, a, he's made them the de facto leaders of the country. They're, they're the de facto leaders of the country. Kushner and, and Ivanka are apparently setting policy to some degree. Um, 
and he's he's said of her apostasy and marriage to Kushner and the raising of the children as Jews that um, it wasn't something that he would ever foresee, but it's turned out wonderfully. It's turned out wonderfully. If those kids die, they're not going to achieve the beatific vision. Now, they're probably young enough that they would end up probably in limbo. I would the limbo of the innocence. I don't think any of them are old enough yet. I'm not sure, but well, I know at least some it, of them are, are pretty young. For this month, that might be the case, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, do, do we actually believe in any of this? Of course not. The answer is, of course they don't believe in any of it. And you have to be realistic about this and face up to these things. I, I, I just, it, it was really disheartening to me that only one person emailed in and said, yeah, that's a good idea that we should pray for these people. I mean, they... They've gone on the list now for me. Every single day, they've gone on the list. And, and that's an unfortunate news flash from people who really ought to know better, because in justice, the virtue of justice, we have to pray for our leaders, especially in a system where we elect them or allegedly elect them. We have to pray for our leaders, even if they're foisted on us by an oligarchy. They have control over us, but we have to pray for them, because it, it's the same same sense that you pray for your parents. You didn't choose them either, but... That's that's what has been ordained, either for your benefit or for your punishment. You need to pray for them, and and if you don't, then you get what you're what's coming to you. And I want to uh, talk about one thing. Um, you mentioned that uh, Ivanka denying the faith. She didn't really mean it. It reminds me of a phrase from the movie A Man for All Seasons, where the actor playing St. Thomas More refers to what is an oath, but words that we say to God. And if, if we don't mean that when we say it, then we are nothing. It's like water running between your fingers. You shouldn't expect to find it when you look at your hands again. To say that somebody who denies the faith didn't mean it, they, you can't believe anything they would ever say at that point. That's right. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So let us all agree that we should, we should pray for all of them, but especially, especially for the children that you know, they don't die an untimely death, and that somehow, some way, that they are converted to Jesus Christ and his one holy Catholic and apostolic church before they die. And, you know, we can't expect instantaneous results. You always have to think long ball. But um, let us let us start praying for these people right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on the topic, on the topic of untimely death, North Korea, they've been doing a lot of saber-rattling of late. Uh Kim Jong, whatever his name is, he's been saying that he has weapons that he can send to America and beyond. Uh, is North Korea really being serious, and is Kim Jong-un really a threat? Well, there's a precision that needs to be here. Is, is Kim Jong-un, the individual human being, a threat? No, absolutely not. He isn't. Kim Jong-un is a front. He is, he is probably the, the quintessential front um, politician or or tyrant or whatever classification you want to make of him on alive on earth today that guy is not making any decisions he has no control over anything who's running north korea but probably no more than two dozen quote unquote generals that's who's running north korea so this whole notion that oh we'll we'll send the seals in and we'll assassinate kim jong un what would that even matter? That wouldn't even matter. First of all, Kim Jong-un isn't running, isn't really running the show. 
He is just the facade. Um, number two, do you know what the generals would do if we actually did assassinate Kim Jong-un? I um, imagine they, they hit the big red button and things go go ballistic. Oh, no. I don't think so. I think they'd go find another Korean that kind of looks like Kim Jong-un and put some weight on him, you know, because everyone else in North Korea is starving to death and Kim Jong-un is fat, so they'd have to fatten him up. And uh, they just put a double out, and and everybody would bow and worship the double because, you know, that would be really difficult to do in North Korea because, you know, they all look completely different from each other. Wait, was that racist of me to say that? A little bit, but it's true. You know it's true. Um, It wouldn't be difficult for them to go get a double and just keep going on. In fact, I, I think a lot of those generals that are running North Korea probably wouldn't be sad to see Kim Jong-un go at all. So um, this whole notion of worrying about Kim Jong-un, this individual, but this, this parallels directly to what we see with, for example, Obama. Obama was just a front. He, he, had, he had no intellectual sway in any of this. You know, they say Kim Jong-un sits around and stuffs his face and plays video games and, you know, maybe fornicates if he's even capable of it. Um, and watches NBA uh, basketball. That's why Dennis Rodman uh, could go act as a as an ambassador to North Korea. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, there's a parallel with, uh, with Obama, too. Sit around, watch sports, play video games, eat, et cetera, et cetera. Obama was the same way. Obama was no intellectual driver in any of this. Obama's an imbecile. But he, you know, he was a black, smooth-talking, that is to say, no, um, no abonic corruption of his speech whatsoever. So he was marketable. Um, Kim Jong-un, it, it isn't even a, a fact of him being marketable because that, you know, North Korea is just a, it's a complete police state. And they have those people actually so psychologically whipped that I think a lot of those North Koreans and starving to death, which will make you crazy too. I think a lot of those North Koreans honestly believe this propaganda that these Kims have all been gods, you know, um, they're just, it's, it's insanity. And they're going to keep that thing rolling as long as they possibly can by any means necessary. So is North Korea a threat? Oh yeah. It could, it could set off a chain of events you know, dragging in China, dragging in Russia, um, getting into getting into a naval conflict all, all around that area, which is already a tinderbox anyway between the antagonism that already exists between China and Japan. Oh, it could be an absolute, complete disaster. Okay. North Korea, the talk, state, talk, talking is about a Japan, threat. It's, it's enough of a threat to Japan that they're, they're looking at doing away with the constitutional restriction that allows them to build an offensive capability to their military. That's unprecedented since World War II. And I want to ask one other question real quick. You mentioned Kim Jong-un being a front. Would that be a local front in North Korea, or might somebody in China be pulling the strings on him? You know, I, I don't see how the North Korean situation benefits China that much. I, I, I don't know if China is just raping natural resources out of North Korea. Um, I, maybe, maybe I'm just completely ill-informed on all this, but it would seem to me, for all the players in the area, that it would be beneficial for everyone, including China, including Russia, all of them, to get North Korea into some, some sort of a state of normalization. 
I mean, look at the economic disparity between North and South Korea. Why wouldn't you want to have that population and that landmass as economically productive and the potential trade partner that, that there is in the southern half of the Korean peninsula? What does it benefit these people to keep that state the way it is? Maybe I'm being naive in all of that. And maybe maybe the Chinese are raping, you know, uh, minerals and so forth out of North Korea that I'm just that I'm just not well read on. But I just can't imagine how they could look at that, that mess and and not say, hey, y'all, let's all let's get together and let's clean this thing up. Let's all go in together. Let's do a let's do a joint operation and get the entire K- Korean peninsula stabilized you know, not that South Korea is unstable in and of itself, but get the entire peninsula stabilized. But perhaps I'm just naive. Or it could be the Far East version of uh, Cuba. Why hasn't Cuba been stabilized in the same respect? It could be that they have a designated purpose for being unstable. I don't know. I'm just yeah thinking out loud. It's possible. Okay, so recently, uh, during, the whole, during Holy Week, in fact, uh, the current occupant of Casa Santa Marta, made the comment that uh, Jesus became a devil as he died on the cross. Is there any possible way that that can be spun other than blasphemy? Actually, I think that anti-Pope Bergoglio said, in fact, I think he used the definite article, and he said he became the devil. Um, No. Now, to to my readers and, and listeners and so forth, I think at this point it's just breathtakingly obvious that anti-Pope Bergoglio is an arch heretic. The man is an arch heretic. And so at a certain point, you know, beating this horse about this heresy, this near daily heresy that this wretch is spewing, it's, it becomes, it just becomes tiresome isn't the word, but it just becomes repetitive. You know, it's like we keep trying to make the same point over and over again. I I did want to talk about this because of our study of diabolical narcissism and how just how hard it struck me when I read those words. When Bergoglio said that our Lord dying on the cross became the devil. And what he had prefaced that by saying is that he became sin. Now, of course, we all know, all Christians know that when scripture says that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ became sin, I believe St. Paul is who uses that, uh, that specific, specific phrase. What that means is that our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took on the sins of the world. He did not become a sinner himself. He, in his perfection, in his divinity, voluntarily took on the burden and the weight of all of the sins of the world in order to redeem the world. Now, you would think that a a school child would understand this. Um, But, you know, with Bergoglio, I'm not convinced at all that it's a matter of stupidity. I do think it's a matter of malice. When he said that Jesus became the devil... Harkening back to what we've learned in our research about diabolical narcissism and what exactly Satan and the demons are. Satan and the demons are these angelic beings who rejected the beatific vision, rejected God, because they refused to worship 
the second person of the triune Godhead who incarnated as a human being. And admittedly, you know, clearly, angels, their intellects are far, 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 far above ours. The disparity between humankind and the angelic choirs is a greater intellectual disparity than the disparity between a human being and an ant. So when the plan for the second person to incarnate as a human being was revealed to uh, all of the angels, a third of them, led by Lucifer, said, we will not serve. And thus they, in order to reject the beatific vision, which they, they never had, because once, once any creature has the beatific vision, it is impossible to turn away from it. It's impossible. So, so the angels never had it to start with. They were given this choice before they were admitted into heaven, before even the creation. So um, what they did by rejecting God and rejecting the beatific vision, which they had this massive data set about, these massive intellects, while not having the beatific vision, knew that God was perfect beauty, perfect goodness, pure love, etc., etc. All of these attributes of God, they knew exactly what, what he is, and they still chose to reject him. Okay, in doing that, they purged all love, love from themselves. They are utterly, completely devoid of love. They are incapable of love. They have permanently, they have permanently purged all love from their being. Now, to call our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, nailed to the cross, dying for the sins of the world, the devil, that is, a being who is completely devoid of love, is, I think, possibly the single most blasphemous, hateful, disgusting, wretched thing that this hateful, disgusting, wretched man, Jorge Bergoglio, has yet said since he has usurped uh, the Sea of Peter. It's, it's, if you understand what exactly he said means, that Christ was not, was not, pouring himself out in complete and total love for mankind, but was in fact the devil and, had, and was completely purged of love and possessed no love while he was dying on the cross. This is, this is so thoroughly blasphemous and thoroughly offensive. I mean, just that right there, that right there, this level of heresy how can, I, I just don't understand how people can still at this point not look at this man and say, there is something horrifically not right in this situation, probably up to and including the fact that this man is, is not really the Pope. Because if Christ promises about, about the papacy and his promises to Peter and the successors of Peter— that he would send the Holy Spirit to protect them, and that he would pray for them personally. If, if Bergoglio is the Pope and is capable of saying something so spectacularly evil about our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then it seems to me that our Lord and Savior's promises about the papacy are empty and void, and we know that's not true. And you know what? I saw the other day, what blog was it? Oh, it was uh, the, the bear, St. St. Corbinian's bear, he had a piece up the other day, which was basically dancing the razor's edge, saying, 
you know, with each passing day, um, it's getting harder and harder to not question the entire notion of the papacy itself. This is why this question is so important, because, you know, people make the argument all the time, well, I'm just, I'm going to stop worrying about it. it, doesn't matter who the Pope is or who the Pope isn't. Oh, it, it, it absolutely matters who the Pope is and who the Pope isn't, because it speaks directly to the promises of our Lord. And again, whether or not our Lord lied, and of course we know our Lord didn't lie, but if, you, but if people mistakenly believe and start thinking that they've been lied to, and that the entire papacy and the, the, the notion of the entire thing has been false from the very beginning, what, again, what do you lose when you're lied to? You lose faith. It's the scandal that comes from this. It is extremely important to understand these things. Now, you know, Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, gloriously reigning, he's the worst pope ever. For what he's done, he is the worst pope ever, no question. But, there's, but he's not done anything even beginning to approach what Bergoglio does, you know, before 10 a.m. each morning. The man is an arch heretic. Um, but is he saying the, all of this of his own intention and of his own idea and malice, or is he reading somebody else's script? And the yeah, other counter-argument oh, counter would be is, is you, okay, you, you don't believe he's Pope, but for those who believe he is, if he's not invoking an infallible formula, what difference does it make? He can be an error and not affect the integrity of the church. I'm glad you asked about, is he writing this or is he not? Here's the truth of the matter. When other people write for him, he tends to not be this wild arch heretic. It's when he speaks off the cuff or when he goes off script, that's when this, this stuff comes out, this just horrific blasphemy and heresy. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up. When he reads the stuff that other people write, I mean, it's not great. It's not great at all. But he doesn't, he doesn't say these, these just wildly blasphemous things. It's when he goes off script. Um, the other thing is, is, is the appeal to, well, you know, he, he hasn't appeared on the loggia and used the actual formulation, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I think that's exactly what Satan wants us all to, to focus on. You know, keep telling yourself that this is okay, and this is no big deal, and this is not a problem, because he hasn't appeared on the loggia and said, in my capacity as the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth, I hereby abrogate the sixth commandment. Well, of course, he's, even if he were the pope, he's never going to do that. That Satan can't do that. That's impossible. So it's all about, you You have to get this, this tactic in your mind. With Satan, it's always about end running. Everything is about end running. It's everything not denial, is about, it's exceptions. Yep, everything, everything. So, A, first of all, this guy isn't the Pope, according, you know, I'm morally certain that he's not the Pope. So that answers a lot of things there. But e even if he were the Pope, how would Satan execute this plan? It would constantly be end running, dropping hints, well, you know, talking out of both sides of your mouth, one day this, the next day the opposite, da 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 da, -da diabolical disorientation, all of that. So this is this is to be expected. It would be no other way. 
He's not going to appear on the loggia and say, I abrogate the Decalogue. Now, maybe that might happen at some point when they have actually set up a completely different, quote unquote, new world order Soros religion. Um, I think there probably will come a point where um, there are actual denials and saying this what why what i anticipate will probably happen is that they'll say something along the lines of the church that was before no longer exists full stop this church is now the true church and they'll try to do it that way um but but for now for the foreseeable future there's never going to be any sort of direct statement about anything because that's how these people operate the other thing i want to touch on is people are constantly making the argument well we've had we've had heretic popes in the past yes we have um liberius honorius and john the 22nd are the three that come to mind um i think liberius and honorius were both in terms of the arian controversy and the arian the arian heresy and they they were wrong about what Arianism had to do with was our Lord's natures and so on and so forth. John the 22nd was a heretic in that he held a position for a while, but then he recanted it, that when people die, um, nobody achieves the beatific vision until the general judgment. Yeah, that was his position. His position was nobody achieves the beatific vision until the end of time, the general judgment, and then all the saved will will be welcomed into the beatific vision at the same time, at, at one time. This is wrong. All I can say to that is, is would that it were, would that it were, that even 20% of Catholic clergy today were as sound and had as much knowledge, understanding, and depth of thought about the Catholic faith as those three heretics. And I'm not being I'm not being facetious. Would that it were that 20% of the Catholic clergy today were sitting around debating whether or not everybody got the beatific vision together at the general judgment or some people got it after their death and, and presumable purgation. Would that it were. These people today, they don't believe any of it. And I, you know, one of my most popular uh, churchy Catholic essays that I've written, and I keep reposting it and keep reposting it, is called They Don't Actually Believe Any of That Bullshit. And bullshit is in, is in quotation marks. And what that refers to is the Catholic faith. And yes, I use that word very intentionally because I want to drive home to people the fact that these most of these clergy today do not believe the Catholic faith and beyond that, they hold it in contempt. And the example I give is what if you took, let, let's take a, a random selection of bishops in the United States uh, Bishops Conference and flew them into Washington, D.C., and put them in some, you know, fancy, swanky hotel and some ballroom and set up a catered thing and put a bunch of high-level politicians and, you know, investment bankers and people in the Soros circle and all that and put them in, in a room with these bishops. And Jared Kushner. Got a, and Jared Kushner. 
and got a few drinks into him. And then, you know, kind of sidled over to one, kind of over, you know, in a corner somewhere and leaned in and, and let's say some, some politician, some high-flying Washington, D.C. senator or something, leans into one of these bishops, and I'll not name any names, but it's, let's be honest, it's most of them, and leaned in and said, you don't believe in any of that transubstantiation bullshit, do you? You don't actually believe that a piece of bread and a splash of wine turns into God, do you? Uh, the vast, vast, vast majority of them would say without hesitation, no, of course, we don't believe that. But the church is changing. Don't worry. The church is entering the 21st century, and we're leaving all that superstitious bullshit behind. That is the way most of these people think, operate. They do not believe any of it. And so... When you see these events day after day after day, why isn't anybody saying anything about any of this? Why isn't anyone objecting to any of this? The answer is you have to be working from a, a true base premise. And the true base premise is that none of them believe any of it in the first place. They think it's all bullshit and they're happy to see Bergoglio shred it because it embarrasses them exactly like Judas Iscariot was embarrassed after our Lord gave the bread of life discourse in John chapter 6. When our Lord gave the bread of life discourse and said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, Judas Iscariot was so embarrassed and humiliated and enraged because nothing makes a person angrier than being embarrassed. He was so enraged that that is when he first decided that he was going to he was going to sell our Lord out, that he was going to betray him, because he was so embarrassed by that. And all of these bishops and most of these clergy, they don't believe any of it. And so that's the true base premise that we have to always go back to. Would that it were, would that it were that even 20% of the Catholic clergy in the Western world today had had the faith and understanding and belief in the faith that the heretic John the Twenty Second had, the world would be a completely different place. You could almost make the argument that at least in the case of Judas, it was a, a matter of, of embarrassment because he had an, uh, you could say, a lust for the power that he thought was going to happen, the temporal uh, kingship of, of Israel, and he was going to have a part of that. But and maybe it's a topic to explore at another time. I would imagine that 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 the the prelates today it, there's a, a much more pernicious aspect of philosophical and theological evolution, where we don't have to believe that because we actually have progressed beyond it. We are moving toward becoming gods ourselves, and we're we're past that now. So it, it I I don't I understand where you're making the connection, but in a way I think it's actually not even it's as, even as, worse. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Because what 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 are the words? What are the famous words that that Modern man is the new and everlasting man, that, that modern man has evolved. And remember what the essence of the heresy of modernism is. Not only is it the synthesis of all heresies, but you can, you can say that the core essence of modern, modernism is we don't actually believe what we believe. Think about that and think about everything you see in the media and the insanity that you see in our culture and then go back to that, that false axiom that modernism is. We don't actually believe what we believe. And it pretty much explains everything in a very overarching way. And you, you say that, and, and 
people with common sense can listen to it and say that doesn't make any sense at all. And the intellectuals say, no, 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 it's a very nuanced view. I'm just a simple nerd, and if I were to tell, turn in my work and tell my boss that, no, 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 the, the, the program doesn't work, but it works, I would be yeah. out of work real quickly. Right. Pi is... Pi is not 3.14. I mean, it, it could be, but it could also be 4.24 if you want it to be. It depends yeah, upon yeah, your yeah, point we, of view. It depends upon your point of view, and it depends upon the nuance of the situation. You have to you have to look at every situation, instance by instance, and you have to you know accompany the 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 people, the project, instance by instance, and not be locked in to any concrete, dogmatic, axiomatic rigidity. <laughs> Whatever. We could probably talk about this for years and never really get anywhere constructive or substantive, but speaking about years, it's been one year since Amoris Letizia was released and uh, probably millions upon millions of words have been written about it, and it doesn't seem that there's been any positive traction one way or the other about it. What do you think of it so far? Uh, what needs to be done differently, if anything? Stop talking about it. Um, I, th I am convinced that one of Satan's primary tactics, especially in the church today, is tricking people into wasting their time. Literally wasting their time. Um, Amoris Laetitiae. Okay, here is this arch-heretical document authored by, you know, under, signed by an anti-pope who is himself an arch-heretic written by sodomites, basically, this Tucho Fernandez person is is clearly a sodomite, okay, it, it, and also, it, it, and it also be, an arch-heretic. It might be beneficial for those who don't know what in the world we're talking about. What is Amoris Laetitia? Oh, it is this horrific document that was promulgated right about one year ago, right about now, by anti-Pope Bergoglio, which basically just shreds, shreds the Sixth Commandment, specifically the sacrament, sacrament of marriage, um, the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of, of the Holy Eucharist. Um, it says in so many words, and again, that's that's how Satan operates. It's always in so many words. And the, the ratification of all this actually lives in a footnote. Um, it's, it's echoed back throughout the document, but the, the explicit point here is in a, is in a footnote that says that, you know what, if you're divorced and remarried, the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Matthew 19, when he says absolutely no divorce and remarriage, yeah, you don't have to pay attention to that. We'll just take this on a case-by-case -case basis. And you know what, whatever, sure. Um, you decide for yourself. You talk to your priest. Uh, maybe go into the confessional, you know, engage the internal forum, what it's called. And yeah, it, it, it's cool. Uh, you can stay in your adulterous second marriage. You don't, you don't have to do anything to modify and, uh, yeah, just go ahead and, and receive Holy Communion, which is sacrilege, sacrilege. So, and you know, they're enforcing this and pushing this. Um, it's, it's tearing, it's tearing the church apart. We're right now pretty much to the point where in Poland, the bishops are teaching, as they should, that divorce and remarriage is adultery and a mortal sin against the Sixth Commandment. And in Germany, just across the border, it's absolutely no problem at all. Um, this, is, this is schism. This is a, a, a schism has already happened, okay? Um, 
So that's what this document is, is about. And so, yeah, in the last year, millions and millions of words have been written on this document. Um, I can go back even further than this. How about Vatican II? How many tens of millions or more words have been written over the last 50 years on Vatican II? Well, I've probably read at least half a million at least. Yeah, it's, it's a staggering, staggering amount. When, when you consider that pretty much everything in the church today, all, cate- all catechesis, everything, is written almost exclusively referencing Vatican II documents and, and referencing the Vatican II mindset and oeuvre, okay, Vatican II is obviously a failed council. It's obviously a failed council. It, 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 it resulted in the catastrophic apostasy of something like 90% of Catholics in the West within just a few decades. It is obviously a failed council. Declared a failed fail council. Stop talking about it. Stop referencing these documents. They were conceived in malice to be a dog's breakfast, which would be incomprehensible and completely of no use and would send and would allow people to spend decades and decades and now by now for some people it's their entire career their entire academic career would be spent wasting their time there's our key point there wasting their time trying to square this circle of this council. It's the same thing with Amoris Laetitia. All these people are running in circles, wasting all this time trying to quote unquote interpret this document. Shred it. Shred it. Build a bonfire. Burn it to the ground. Bergoglio isn't the Pope. This thing is heresy. Stop talking about it. Stop trying to turn it into something that it isn't. You're wasting your time, and Satan is sitting there laughing at all of this. The last 50 years have been wasted. Catechesis has been absolutely gutted. Catholics no longer know the faith. Why? Because we've been trying to teach people in this, according to Vatican II, a failed council. Meanwhile, all this time is wasted when people could have been learning Leo XIII, Pius X, all the, the entire magisterium of the church, the doctors of the church, and all of this time has been wasted on Vatican II, and now all this time is being wasted on Amoris Laetitiae. That is why these things matter. Satan is howling with delight, seeing all of these people just spin their wheels and spin their wheels and spin their wheels. In the meantime, nobody is, is really, in any significant sense, discussing or teaching, especially within the Novus Ordo, obviously, no one is discussing or teaching actual Catholicism, the actual magisterium of the church. So, yeah, we need to stop falling for this temptation. And I think the reason why why it is such a temptation for people, especially academics, is because they see that this is the gravy train that will give them a career, that will you know get them grants, will get them scholarships, will get them professorial positions, you know, blah, da, 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 da. 
and they think, well, you know, this is, this is how I'm going to make my career. If I'm going to have a career as a theologian or a professor at, uh, in, in the academy whatsoever inside the church, then I have to, I have to be on this Vatican II bandwagon. It's going to take an act of integrity for people to stand up and start saying, no, this is a failed council, and I'm not going to use these, these documents, which were conceived in malice, to be intentionally unclear at best and abject doublespeak at worst. I'm not going to use this and base my career off of this. And if that means that I can't get a job in 99.9% of the Catholic institutions left in the world, then so be it. I, I guess I'm just going to have to take up my cross there. But see, we're never going to get out of any of this. We're never going to get out of any of this until people start, so, start showing some personal integrity. This is all about us taking up our cross. Why, why has this been allowed to happen? Why does this keep dragging on and on and on? It just seems like forever. I mean, in terms of history, this is just a snap of the fingers, but it seems like forever and ever that this is dragging on. And we ask ourselves, why? Why is our Lord permitting this? Because he loves us so much that he's willing to give us time to come to our senses, to man up, to show integrity, and to voluntarily choose to take up our cross and suffer with him. And one of the first steps in that is intellectual integrity and moral integrity and saying, no, I am not going to continue to base my career, my research, my ministry, whatever you want to call it, on these false premises, this amoris laetitia crap. I'm not, I'm not going to discuss this anymore. It's a heretical document. Burn it. That's my answer to it. That's the end of it. Vatican II. I am no longer going to discuss Vatican II as any sort of a legitimate council in the church. I am not going to cite its documents except to cite heresy. That's it. I'm done. There's no hope in terms of the church. There's no hopes. There's no hope in terms of the economic situation, the political situation, so on and so forth, until people start showing integrity. And that, and I'm just not seeing it. Even among the best of the best, I'm not seeing it. It's still this well, you don't understand. I have to go along to get along. This is how the game is played. If I say this, that, or the other, I'll lose my job tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. Please don't lecture me about losing your career. Seriously, don't lecture me about losing your career. At some point, you have to put your foot down and say, absolutely no farther. I will not participate in this. And that's all I have to say about that, super nerd. Speaking about careers, how is that janitorial service work going? Ah, you know, that dried up. So just a young kid living the dream, looking, sell it. I'm selling cattle marketing DVDs. So God bless all the, the lovely people out there who are still buying cattle marketing DVDs. And that generally keeps the rent paid and then other donations come in and that is kind of walking around money. And God bless every one of you. And, and don't forget everybody that, um, Right now, we're at three days a week. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is offered for um, my benefactors on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday every week. And if there are any priests out there listening who would be willing to commit to commemorate my benefactors on Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, or Sundays, my goal, obviously, is to get it to where the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is offered for my benefactors every single day so that folks could wake up every single day 
and know that that the holy sacrifice is offered for them for the salvation of their souls and for their intentions every single day and i would have to think that you know if you're going through some hard times that that might be something that that might help folks you know get through these tough times and and add hope to the world that's my intention so if there are any priests out there who'd be willing to do that please do and i also want to mention that um in my old stomping grounds of Denver, dear Father Hardy uh, was involved in a, he was hit by a car while he was riding his bicycle about 24 hours ago as we're recording this. Um, and I believe he's in the hospital. He's stable, but he's, he's, as you can imagine, he's not in terribly good shape. So if you could please in your charity, remember Father Hardy in Denver um, as he recuperates from his injuries of the past 24 hours, I would be very grateful to you for that. I would definitely keep him in our in my family rosary, as well as uh, all the intentions of all the be- benefactors as well, as well as Jared and Ivanka and everyone else who needs our prayers, which is darn near everybody really. I mean, we all need prayers. None, none of us, oh, yeah. none of us uh, are perfect for sure. And uh, you mentioned the cattle marketing DVD. Is something else that is in the pipeline? It's not ready yet. It should be soon. Is the diabolic narcissism DVD? That uh, apparently has you've been getting some requests for that on on uh, DVD, and I've been working with you on that. That should be available for order within the next two weeks. Yeah, we'll keep you all posted on that, and um, you are going to have to pay for it because Super Nerd is going to be doing this himself, and he's a family man, and you know he needs to be compensated for his time and his effort. Nobody's going to make any money off of this. It's just over over the last year and change since I released the Diabolical Narcissism video, I've I received quite a few inquiries from people saying, I'd really, really, really like to have this in hard DVD form, not just streaming on the internet. And so there was sufficient there was sufficient interest that it's certainly no problem. And Super Nerd got himself set up with all the technology and we'll keep y'all posted as to when we're ready to start having folks order that and have Super Nerd ship. So that'll be that'll be very cool. And that announcement will be posted on barnhart.biz. Yes, absolutely. Uh, any other final uh, thoughts or words? Uh, I, th- I think we did a good job. Look at us. We're almost right exactly at an hour. Um, just thank you so much, Super Nerd, for, for being willing to do this. It's it's a huge help. As you know, my, um, my personal technology situation kind of went south a few months ago um, and I'm just kind of now getting back on my feet but even still it's really difficult for me to record and upload audio and edit and all of that kind of stuff I just don't have the the physical the physical capabilities here to do that and thank you so so very much for doing it and being being Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson this was good this was really fun I don't, I don't know if it's Ed McMahon I think I, uh Obviously, we'll get better at this as we go. My my real technology or my real skills is in the technology and and some of the editing and and whatnot. So, this this is a fun experience to uh, actually be part of the talent as well as the the uh, enabler behind the scenes. So, um, <laughs> the enabler. My apologies. The co- my the apologies co-conspirator. To, my apologies for not being as smooth and polished as I could possibly be, but I'll work on it. I'll I'll, I'll, oh, read, I'll read some more articles on how to be an effective uh, interviewer. So. Well, you managed to pull the chicken teeth out of me, and you got me to talk, so you did a good job. I tried my hardest. Yep. <laughs> okay, have, have a good night, Ian, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, thanks. God bless everybody. 